Slug, go on mute yourself, please. Okay, there we go. Hey, everybody, this is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman back for the 147th uh, Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom call. Uh, it is August, uh, what is it, August 14th today, um, uh, 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern. It's great to have everybody with us. Uh, we're starting with 28 great folks, and uh, we will move on up. Uh, Tatanka Bricko, Wendy Lederman, um, uh, Steve Caruso, Mike Hirsch, our, our usual crew. We see Kathy Wolf from uh, uh, New Hampshire. How you doing, Kathy? Oh, you're in Maine. But anyway, how you doing? Uh, some Sperm is at the beach with me. Uh, the great Joel Siegel from uh, North Carolina. Uh, Charlotte is with us. And uh, uh, also, uh, uh, Dorothy mentioned Susie Shannon, your cohort. Joel, you should come on out to California for Dorothy's upcoming um, uh, fundraiser with, among others, Jane Fonda, which will give you the detail. We have a huge um, uh, agenda today. It's uh, uh, many, many things to cover. We will not meet next week, um, um, but we will meet the week after this being August. We're going every other week. So two weeks from today will be the August 28th and we will meet again, but next week, uh, August 21st, we will not. And when I next see you, I will have a new right knee and I will be an inch taller <laughs> than I am now. So um, uh, at any rate, it's one, Dennis Bernstein is with us, the great Dennis from uh, KPFA, uh, the Flashpoint Show. Dennis, wonderful to see you. Myla uh, Reason uh, and so many others. So we have some um, great news, and but we're going to have to start with some terrible news. Um, and we have uh, our wonderful friend John Steiner with us uh, to talk about Maui. Um, in the second hour, we, we're going to deal with uh, nuclear issues and sustainability, and um, uh, also a huge victory, court victory, which I'll talk about in a second. But um, uh, unfortunately, well, we're, we're going to go also, we have a, a victory in Ohio. Uh, that we're going to talk about, a very big one. Uh, but unfortunately, we have to start start with uh, the situation in Maui. I lived in Maui for six months. Um, you know, <clears throat> it's like Mother Nature telling us there are no safe places on this earth. If there ever there was a safe, secure place where you could count on things being wonderful, it was Maui. Um, you know, Lahaina, uh, you could settle in Lahaina and never go anywhere else. It was just paradise. It was as close to paradise as any place on this earth. And uh, all of a sudden, we have the worst wildfire, uh, the most deadly wildfire, and they are way, way not done with finding people dead, uh, unfortunately. So uh, 96 is the toll now. I mean, I can't even begin to comprehend I spent many, many wonderful hours in Lahaina, and uh, you know when you're you when when you're in Lahaina, you never wanted to be anywhere else. It was just, you know, why why go anywhere else? And now, all of a sudden, it's it's gone. John Steiner, uh, you have worked with uh, Ramdas, and he had had a center there. You want to tell us uh, uh, how people can help with the Maui situation? John Steiner, are you with us? Yes. Are you unmuted? There you are. Uh, I don't know what to do. I'm on. Here you are. You're on. All right. 
So Harvey, thank you. My wife, Margot King, is here as well. We've had the privilege of being in Maui for a number of times over the years, and everybody's been reading how what the tragedy is. Just occurred to me that what we might want to do, because so many people have been to Maui or have relatives there, we keep hearing people who have honeymooned there. If everybody would go into reactions and just put a, a heart on the screen, if you've either been to Maui or really feel connected to Maui. I think there's just a, a sense of how many of us just feel that's a second home, part of who we are. Um, we know the spirit there. And I'm not gonna go into the tragedy side of this because I think we've read all about it. Uh, the Washington Post a few days did a, a good piece on all the places that we can give to. The one group that we're highlighting today that's part of the Ramdas community are two wonderful women Maui elders who run an organization called Aloha in Action. I won't even, we won't even put it in the chat. You can find it online. They are on the ground. They're working with people. They know what's going on. It's very, their work is very up close and personal. And I think what we'd like to do just, again, we'll make it brief, is just to tell two stories that have really touched us. Uh, dear friends of ours, just out, go ahead, uh, about Sharon B and what was on the Facebook page. Oh yeah, that's so dear. We had some wonderful friends who lost their house in a big, beautiful comp uh, condo complex right over the ocean, 350 units, a third of it burned down, including oh. their house um, while they were away camping in the Rockies. And, um, uh, share the first thing she posted we're fine our house is lost but the most important thing is i want to know how to help i know a lot about restoration can somebody start to plug me in we're coming home and there's just so much like that the spirit of aloha is alive and over well it's just a flood of love when we talk to our friends over there um, they, they're just so grateful for all the prayers and and money is, of course, what they need a lot of. But over to you. Uh, just one more story. We happen to read on an Oprah Winfrey post. Oprah has quite the spread over there. And she's been going into the shelters and she tells the story of talking to people in shelters and asking them, what do you need? And she was in a shelter and she's, she sees a man sitting down with bandages around his legs and she says what do you need and he said well i jumped out of my car i ran to safety i ran through the flames i could feel the heat popping my flesh what do i need i don't need anything i'm just glad to be alive and he's trying to get well so he can go help um Harvey, one thing I would say is I've been reading an amazing book. We don't have time. I, I just want to I just want to put the title okay. Breaking Together by Jem Bandel. The subtitle is A Freedom Loving Response to Collapse. Industrial civilization is collapsing. And this is a brilliant book. You go on his website, J-E-M-B-E-N-D-E-L-L. And Maui is just one very extreme, but it'll get more extreme, example of it. Just as you said early, 
that's really all we have to offer at the moment, y'all. Well, um, you know, again, I, the last place on earth, literally, that you would ever think uh, of a tragedy like this was Maui. And, you know, uh, I don't know how many people, if anybody else wants to chime in with a remembrance. I mean, I spent days in the crater, the Haleakala crater, back when you could, back when you didn't need a permit in the 70s. <laughs> I would wander into this crater 10,000 feet up in the air and just be there. And, and you know, nobody hassled you and you just were um, uh, as close to uh, the sky as you could ever be. And uh, oh my God, it's, it's just beyond belief. Uh, Tatanka, you want to say? John or Margo, have you heard? I uh, heard from friends and they have a friend who, who wrote, and I can get this to you, Harvey, uh, that when all the power went out and it was just a beautiful windless day and the fire started up in the hills and then the 65 mile an hour wind and it was just uh, along with a lot of um, other information and along with the fact that two big condos had gone up, they're really suspicious this that this was perhaps uh, geoengineered for the real estate industry. So anyway, just want to see if you've heard about that. It's going around and we we're... don't repost it. <laughs> yeah, everybody on Maui is on to it. They're posting memes like you're going to be asked to sell your property right away. Don't do it to anyone that doesn't live here and preferably yeah. name it. And Good. Yeah. But we don't know. Um, we don't yeah, know. I know. Yeah. I know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. I've seen stuff like that too. And, you know, to me, it's credible. But here we go. Milo, I know you lived in Hawaii and then Dorothy Reich. Yes. I, I lived on the Kona coast for nine years at a time when it was very rural and very wonderful in terms of uh, community, um, a very diverse community of people who got together all the time and celebrated um, the, first, the first birthday of babies. We would have enormous family luau's with hundreds of people who would bring food and play music. And, and, uh, and we used to gaze across the water at Maui. I, I did visit Maui, but I lived on the big island and um, it's, it's, you know, just uh, uh, about a year ago, I saw a drone um, footage of the Kona coast, and I didn't even recognize it um, because it was so rural when I was there. And I got to tell you, I wept. It was just, uh, it was really heartbreaking to see how that once really pretty, fairly pristine area had become so overdeveloped, it seemed like to me. But anyway, this is really well, tragic. Uh, up until and uh, even now, even today, if you ask me if where of all the places on earth that I would want to live for the rest of my life, it, it would still be Maui. <laughs> you know, I've never there's just nowhere else like it, really. No. Uh, Dorothy, yeah, so I was in Maui many, many years ago. Um, I had a, 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 a woman who worked for me, she was actually young at the time, and she was going to. Uh, the University of Hawaii and studying batteries, which she never, getting a PhD in chemistry. And she never put that to use because she was going to have to move to the Midwest in order to, to pursue that career. So she decided to stay in Maui and she started working for working again for Countrywide. She worked in mortgage business. 
and she bought a house and she had a child and I've lost track of her and I would love dearly to find her and see if she needs anything. Her name is Dawn, D-A-W-N, B-O-U-C-H-E-R. She seems, if you go, if you Google her, she's, she's working as an esthetician. She's created some line of skincare or something. But the, so we were there for a weekend because I would have to go every, every Thanksgiving to see her because she was alone and I was her family, so to speak. So I would go, mostly we were at the Big Island, but one year we wanted to, she wanted to go to Maui and we did. And it was a really magical place. We stayed in a little guest house up in the hills, which is where she finally bought her pro, a house in the, in the native section, not in the, you know, inexpensive little house. And I don't know, you know, where she is. Um, the, the memory I have also is that being a typical tourist, we went down, I went to Lahaina with her and we, there was a Mexican restaurant and we had some food and we started drinking uh, raspberry margaritas. And every little raspberry margarita had a little mermaid hanging off the lip of it. And we had a pile of, of uh, mermaids by the time we left. And I've had them for years. Finally, they all, they, little by little, they disappeared. But I had them around for a long, long time to remind me of Maui. And it was just a beautiful, wonderful place. And I'm, it was okay. so devastating. Thank you, Dorothy. It, it, it's beyond. Okay, uh, Justin, and then I think we're going to have to go from Maui to uh, Ohio uh, and, uh, and Jeffrey real quick. But go ahead, Justin and Jeffrey, and then we'll move on. Justin, unmute. Hello. So uh, I visited Maui actually this year, ironically enough, and uh, my specialty is in grid planning. And so it's ironic that there have been no mentions of lightning being uh, a potential cause of fires all over the island and some on the big island, uh, but uh, definitely a lot of downed power poles. And the saddest part about all of this is Maui County Commissioner and Mayor uh, have both said, yep, the power lines were still energized. They didn't have a public safety shutoff plan like they should have learned from California and they didn't listen to us. Yes, exactly. And if they, if all those houses that had solar panels and there had been a microgrid, um, probably wouldn't have happened. Absolutely. Uh, Jeffrey, go ahead real quick and then we'll move on. Just real quick, if they wouldn't have cut down the breadfruit and planted sugar cane and then decided that when the tax write-off went away, they just let the sugar cane go. And that's what provided all the fuel for the um, for the fires, all the dry grasses that grew up right. on the sugar cane. They didn't care. And that could happen in the Everglades too, by the way. Sooner or later, sugar is going to get driven out of the Everglades and they're just going to walk away. And I guarantee you it'll be a, one of the biggest fires ever in the Everglades. It's a prediction you heard here first. Uh, thank you for that. Je Jeffrey, go ahead and then we'll move uh, to Ohio. I, I know I haven't been to Hawaii personally, but my, mo my mother has. Do you want to listen to her story? Uh, very quickly. Okay, hold on. I she's here. Let me get, let me get her real quick. <laughs> okay. Um, and we um, have, uh, we have, um, um, <laughs> uh, we have uh, Rachel Coyle. Rachel, are you with us? We're going to talk about Ohio and uh, her victory there. It's always great after tragedy to celebrate your victory. We have two today to celebrate. Hey, Rachel, how are you? Um, okay, Jeffrey's getting his mother. Uh, Rachel, uh, let's have a whoop-de-doo here. Uh, we want a giant victory in Ohio and uh, tell us about it. 
Yes. So really exciting. Ohio had an election this past week, August 8th. Uh, it was an illegal August election that Ohio had just banned them uh, last at the end of last year to that would have made it a lot harder, nearly impossible for citizens to put amendments on the ballot and pass constitutional amendments. So it would have made it nearly impossible for us to pass abortion rights um, it, to end gerrymandering in our state. It really would have taken away a huge amount of power that Ohio citizens had. Uh, and we were able to defeat it. Uh, with a, a significant majority, we had 57% of the state voted no on issue one, even though we only had a couple months to campaign and let people know. Uh, so it was just incredible. So many more people turned out than they thought. We saw the issues that we saw on election day were polling places not expecting nearly as many people as showed up. So Logan County, which is a rural county in Ohio, had everyone in the county voting in one place because they expected so few people to show up that there ended up being lines down the block. And Stark County up in Northeast Ohio, they had several polling places literally run out of ballots because so many people came on this random Tuesday in the middle of the summer to vote down this issue. It was just incredible. Uh, so now I can, I'm putting some, um, articles in the chat for anyone who wants to see the breakdown by county uh, and and all the different people, Republicans, independents who voted against this power grab by the supermajority. So really exciting. We even had one county where the issue failed by one vote, Clark County, Ohio, one individual citizen um, flipped that over to the, the side of democracy. So just it shows how important every single vote is. And it was really just just a great, great day in Ohio. Well, let, let's let's remind people what these jerks wanted to do. And I will tell you that um, there was an article afterwards with the Republican, he was in the head of the House and the Senate, saying they're not going to give up. That they're going to come back and try and do it. Tell us exactly, Rachel, what they wanted to do with this uh, amendment. Yes. Yeah, so issue one would have done several things. One thing it would have done is made it so that um, if, if citizens wanted to put an amendment on the ballot uh, to change the Constitution, they would have had to collect signatures, thousands more signatures from all 88 counties across the state, which is pretty much impossible to do if you're not a paid campaign. Um, and so it would have made it so that only people who could afford to pay signature collectors in every county would have gotten on the ballot. And then once you got on the ballot, uh, you would need 60% of the statewide vote to pass an amendment instead of the current simple majority, uh, which is very convenient since all the polling shows that abortion rights are supported by about 59% of Ohioans. And even if 59% of Ohioans had showed up this November, we've got an election on November 7th, uh, that would not have been enough if issue one had passed, which is just unbelievable. Uh, but like you said, we do have some politicians already saying that they're thinking of bringing this back up. Not this year. They've already missed that deadline. Uh, but Senate President Matt Huffman has already said that he's thinking of bringing this back sometime. He's also thinking that if on November 7th, Ohio passes abortion rights, they might try to find another way to go around the will of the voters. So we're, we're always going to have to deal with that. But it is just huge um, and I want to tell anyone who is in Ohio or knows anyone in Ohio, we have an election this November 7th, 2023, uh, to vote on what is probably going to be both abortion rights and the right to adult use marijuana are probably both going to be on the ballot. 
Um, so mark your calendar, tell everyone in Ohio, you know, to mark their calendar for November 7th. You can already request your absentee ballot right now because we're less than 90 days away, which is wild. Uh, so it's all happening very fast. And the only reason we have a shot is because we won last week. This is the guy. He says, well, you know, uh, Kasich, when John Kasich was governor, uh, they tried to uh, pass a um, right to work anti-union referendum and it got crushed. And John Kasich, who I've met a few times, uh, came out and said, well, okay, the people have spoken and we're not gonna do, we're not gonna bring this up again. But this current batch of Republicans uh, who must've been born in a nuclear power plant somewhere, um, <laughs> you know, and they're, they're saying they're gonna go at it again and again and again until they, uh, they, they think they can do it. And, uh, you know, you gotta remember that the people of Ohio passed two, count them, two statewide referenda against gerrymandering. And then the, U the Ohio Supreme Court banned gerrymandering. And the, the Republicans in the, uh, in the legislature ignored all of that. And it, the state is still terribly gerrymandered. So these, these people just don't care. But you know we won. It's a magnificent victory. And Rachel, I'm sure it's all due to you, so thank you very much. Um, okay, Myla, and then Eric, and then Paul. But thank I, you. I just have a quick question, Rachel. You said that they ran out of ballots in one at one polling place and some other something else. And I'm wondering if you know how they um, how they dealt with that. Yes. Yeah, so in Stark County uh, up in Northeast Ohio, there were a couple precincts that did run out of ballots, but they were everybody was encouraging folks to stay in line. The League of Women Voters and everyone was getting the message out as quickly as possible that if you stayed in line, the county board of elections would be bringing ballots to them. Um, and so they would be allowed to vote even if it was after that the polls closed. So we do believe most people were able to vote, uh, but the league is asking that if anyone wasn't able to, that they reach out. Uh, and then in Logan County, the they had prepared for so few people to show up. They literally were thinking that single digits of percentage of people would show up, <laughs> that they, uh, they had everyone in the county set to vote in one place. So there ended up being lines like down the block to vote. But we do believe that everyone who wanted to did end up being able to vote. They just had to wait a long time. Well, some of the uh, precincts, I think, use toilet paper, right? You could write on... No, that, <laughs> no this, this happened in 2004, where they deliberately ran out of ballots in, you know, in places where they didn't really want people to vote. So it's, there, there is historic precedent uh, and evil precedent in Ohio for running out of ballots. And we expect it to happen again. Uh, Eric Lazarus and then Paul Newman uh, and then Justin again. Go ahead, Eric. Um, first, congratulations. Wow, what an amazing, awesome <laughs> victory. You were already my hero, but now double. Um, question. Um, this, is, um, this may happen again and again where um, the opponents um, are completely over the top outrageous in what they're suggesting. Uh, and I'm wondering whether you've learned something you want to share with us about when the other side is willing to essentially boldface come out against democracy and, you know, and American values. It has to like, where I think a lot of Republicans were viewing this as underhanded and sleazy and, um, and voted against it. So what do you, can you give us any general, like, what did you learn when the other side goes completely over the top? What, what, 
Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that was very concerning during this election was they were running all these ads that we were worried were going to be effective, saying that they weren't talking at all about what issue one would actually do, but they were saying that it, if it doesn't pass, um, that's how all the indoctrinators would be able to, you know, get trans kids surgeries without their parents' permission. They were making wild claims having nothing to do with the issue at hand, the democracy issue, um, saying that we had to protect our kids from, you know, they were using transphobic language and hateful speech against anyone who supports abortion rights. And we were scared that those things would work in a world where people didn't know what issue one would actually do. Uh, but it turned out that the counter message of read the language for yourself, this is a democracy issue, don't let them take your rights away, that language worked and people were not scared off by the, the transphobia and the attacks on abortion rights, uh, which really shows that maybe that those are not winning issues and that talking about democracy and freedom and abortion rights even uh, are successful and that you can get through all the crap if you say, like we literally said, and we're going to do this again with abortion rights, look at the language yourself. It's one page long. It's really easy to understand. Don't buy any of the crap you're seeing on TV. Read it yourself. And that it worked. And I'm hoping it works again in November. Amazing. I think that they, they were the Republicans were saying that if you voted against uh, issue one, you would be abducted by space aliens. They were making unbelievable claims that had no basis in reality, that that the Constitution would be wide open to anyone who wanted to do any kind of grooming. They used all those trigger words and didn't work. Yeah. Well, thank you. Let's let's hope it's set a precedent. Uh, we've got 70 people with us, including Frank, Franklin Roosevelt, who's always over Paul Newman's uh, shoulder there. And what are you eating, Paul? Um, I'm eating a Italian sandwich with unhealthy uh, meats. Oh, so, well, this is a vegan call. I'm afraid you're going to have to leave. <laughs> so what do you got? I just was curious. Now, to be clear, I was just curious, Rachel. The Ohio legislation can't legislate a law that requires those uh, items that were on the ballot that everyone voted against, can they? Right. They would have to put it back on the ballot for voters again if they want to amend the Constitution. Wait, oh, you got muted. Yeah. Oh, you got muted. There you go. But they can't do it any other way. They can't just legislate it. Right. If they want to change, because in the Constitution right now, since 1912, Ohio voters put into our Constitution that we have this right to citizen ballot initiatives. And the process that we currently have is laid out in there. So if they wanted to change the Constitution, they would not have to collect signatures, which is nice for them. Uh, but they would then have to get voters to vote on it and, and pass it with a majority of the statewide vote. And they did this in August, assuming that nobody would turn out. Yes. And that they would get a small turnout, which they would win. Uh, on the other hand, it's not, we did not get 60%. So, right. you know, ironically, um, anyway, uh, Wendy and then Justin again. Wendy, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Rachel. I had to chime in and just tell my sister, great job, great work, congratulations, and just back up everything you're saying because here in Florida like unfortunately we didn't do as well as you guys did and I just have I'm so proud of you guys I'm so impressed because I just know how tough it is to get over that propaganda here for us it was like the utility monopolies that were behind when we yeah. when they did succeed in the 60 60 percent majority now they're going for 67 percent 
But I just, um, from my personal experience and witnessing, I just know how tough of a job it is to get that done and you guys succeeded. And like you said, I have so much um, hope for these galvanizing issues that um, are more progressive leaning, which shows the will of the people. And just congratulations, so much love, keep up the awesome work. Thank you. Thank you so well, when you come to Wendy in a minute to talk about um, uh, Florida, uh, uh, um, uh, stuff I can't even believe. But Justin, uh, go ahead, Justin LeBlanc. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, so I attended the some of the Netroots Nations uh, sessions, and they confirmed what, Rachel, you were saying about messaging, that uh, what appeals to voters, what actually succeeds, is values play, the, whether uh, upholding those values or failing to uphold them. And so well done on the messaging. Uh, my question is actually, uh, how can you, is it possible to get... Uh, some of the independent redistricting back on the ballot for November to go with all of that groundswell you probably will have around abortion and marijuana. So great question. And unfortunately, we can't get it on the ballot for November. But the day after uh, issue one failed, a group came out and started collecting signatures to create a nonpartisan citizen led uh, redistricting commission in Ohio. So that process, it would look very similar to what Michigan has had success with. Um, and they are now collecting signatures that would end up on the ballot in 2024, if that gets on the ballot. Um, and they, it's funny because we only had a few months to collect signatures to get on the ballot for abortion rights. And they have until next year, which just feels like endless amounts of time. Uh, so it's very exciting that now we are looking at creating, it would be a 15 person citizen led process, um, five Dems, five Republicans and five nonpartisan independents. Um, and the legislature would not have the final say in what our maps look like. So it really is possible that in 2024, because of our win in August, we could end up with that, that lack of the ending gerrymandering in Ohio. Well, you know, you have, for that issue, one of the great advocates, and you really got to use him, and I know you're going to laugh, but it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, because Schwarzenegger in California gave $3 million, as we uh, reportedly, of his own money to uh, back to, we had a referendum in 2008, and then in 2010, one for the assembly, and then one for the congressional districts, to establish nonpartisan um, uh, redistricting commission in California, which works very well. It's one of the best in the country and you should look at it. And yeah. people, it's very popular and very successful. Of course, Arnold was a Republican and the Republicans had a big interest in redistricting California because it was completely gerrymandered for the Democrats. But none, and Nancy Pelosi opposed the re, the this um districting this nonpartisan districting commission in California that was supported by Schwarzenegger. Well, so, that's one of the things we're so excited about in Ohio is that former governors and AGs who are Republicans here are helping lead the redistricting effort. So that Arnold idea is really interesting. I wonder if we have any ties to him. Well, you should see the. There's a three-part Netflix documentary on Arnold, which is really great. I mean, I would love to meet Arnold, um, but uh, but he, his politics are very, he was very pro-solar. And, you know, he comes to Columbus every year for that weightlifting thing. Yep, he, he does. So I want you to get me a, a T-shirt that, that has the Arnold, a double X. And then when he comes there, you got to get to him. <laughs> All right, I'll Arnold, see what I can do. Arnold knows. And one of the reasons, this is so cool, 
this is why I love history, the law of unintended consequences. As most of you probably know, Arnold had an affair with his housekeeper and she had a son called Joseph. And that when, when Arnold admitted that Joseph was his son to his wife, <laughs> that ended their marriage. But Joseph actually grew up and he went to the University of Michigan. And Arnold, because he was there, Arnold came into Michigan and helped them with their redistricting. Because oh, for him, it's a big issue. So you got to see if he has any other illegitimate children that maybe went to Ohio State. That would be a big help. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, uh, so when Arnold comes for the weightlifting thing, you got to get him and he'll support it. And you, should, you need right. to look. Everybody needs to look at the California Districting Commission because it's very successful. It went in 2008, 2010 for both the, both the uh, legislature and the congressional districts. So when you're, when you're doing this in Ohio, take a look. And then you, you can probably get to Arnold one way or another. There gotta be people in Columbus that know him. Um, okay, Steve Caruso. Steve? Yeah, um, I was gonna say the Supreme Court, which is now fully dominated by the Republicans in Ohio, is still going to vote on an issue about abortion, a six-week abortion ban, which is rescinded for the time being till they make a decision. And of course, then the, there's the redistricting issue, which maybe you mentioned earlier, that they're going to decide again too. So we got to keep keep going and keep pushing and get this thing straightened out, Ron. <laughs> well, yes. you know, the Republicans had a four-three majority. Is it four-three or five-four? Uh, it's four-three, I think. There's seven. So, um, and the, but the uh, Maureen O'Connor, who was a Republican chief justice, voted in favor of fair districts. And then the Republicans told her to drop dead, but she is now off the Supreme Court. She's been um, um, uh, replaced by a much more conservative Republican woman, Sharon Kennedy. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. That'll be interesting, but thanks for that, Steve. That is true, though. Ohio could potentially um, return to our six-week abortion ban before the November vote. Uh, he was mentioning the Supreme Court. They could reinstate that ban. And that is, I mean, it would create a lot of interesting politics, but also would be just devastating for people in Ohio who right now have access to abortion for 22 weeks. It, but they also nixed the challenge to the referendum in November. So that's great. Yes. Yes, right. they're not going to look at whether or not it's constitutional to right, have it. Right. And uh, on, the, on the marijuana issue, you know, I was in Ohio, in Columbus for decades. And every time we, we had a group that was trying to do a marijuana initiative, and everybody was too stoned to go get the uh, signatures. So I hope, you, I hope you can avoid that problem in the fall. Um, yes, the abortion or the marijuana folks turned, they were about 700 signatures short and they turned in an extra 6,500. So unless their math is way off, they, they're going to get on the ballot. So that's very exciting. Right. Well, they probably switched over to CBD just for the campaign. So uh, <laughs> that, that might have helped. Uh, Ron Leonard, do you have a hand? Well, it's nice to know the marijuana group can count and, and that Arnold will be back. But Rachel, what I'm very interested in is not only the communication, but the method of communication. This is something that we can learn nationally and, and turn this whole situation around. How are we communicating in this particular issue? Was it mostly a media campaign? Was there a canvassing? What, what's the method that you can teach us about? 
So unfortunately, the answer is all of the above. Um, we we got out early on TV, but we also were out early on all social media platforms. We had several different organizations, TikTok videos go viral with hundreds of thousands of views. We were paying for Google search ads. Uh, we were on not only uh, broadcast television, but on Hulu and other streaming services with ads. So it was literally wherever you were. And then beyond, beyond that, we had a very significant, the unions got together. Uh, with the party uh, and did a canvassing campaign that was incredible. They knocked doors. They made phone calls to a very targeted list of Democrats um, who regularly vote in two and four year elections, but maybe would have no concept that there was an August 2023 election. Um, they they did all of the above and they got out early, which I'm being told is the key, that our message was there first and for a month or two before anyone else responded. But don't forget social media. It's very important. TikTok was huge for us this year. But you've, you've created a, a very important method. And the method really is not only all of the above, but the method is that while Donald Trump used this in his first campaign, he used canvassing. He used targeted canvassing. He, you know, he used these things called cell phones, which told the canvasser, what he was going to say that would be helpful to that constituent. This is something that we can replicate. Congratulations. You're going to write this up, Rachel. Uh, you're going to do an article about how, about what you just said, because uh, that's the template we need to have, um, you know, and, and we'll get it to uh, Andrea Miller and, and Ray McClendon. And we'll, uh, you know, this is, this is very important. Ron raises a, a really good point here. Uh, thank you. Uh, Bill Fenderson, we've never heard from you before. Uh, Bill Fenderson, go ahead. I'm unmuting you. Go ahead, Bill Fenderson. Maybe you don't exist. Hello. Um, all right. Well, uh, uh, I, I don't know where, where, where he is. Uh, Tatanka, go ahead. Okay, yeah. I was just unmuted. Um, thank you. So much, Rachel. I just want to say, I've, I've mentioned this one time before, but once you get this in place, it's really possible for people to work proactively to, to create the districts that you want to see. The Dolores Huerta Foundation in the Central Valley, which includes Bakersfield with GOP McCarthy's district, which is called the Selma of California, uh, they proactively recreated true to what they could see was going to come out and immediately afterwards created a fair redistricting presented it to the state up in sacramento were intimidated by the proud boys and other far-right groups a lot of threats just followed them around a whole bunch of stuff and they didn't know how it was going to turn out and it turned out it was accepted unanimously and it created a new democratic congressional seat in the valley it made a big difference so it's it's so good that you're doing that because then then citizen groups can proactively get involved and create the districts that they want fantastic yeah i mean yes. rachel um once again ohio finds itself in the you know in a, in a critical moment here so we really got to make best use of it i'd like you to come back in two weeks uh folks we're not going to meet next week but two weeks and let's revisit this and see um, how far we've come with it, because um, somehow or other, I mean, I grew up in Columbus. I always wonder what the hell I was doing there. But somehow or other, issues just come to Ohio. It's just like weird. And but that's, that's the way it is. So 
Um, and I, meantime, I'll look up when the Arnold is and uh, I'm, I'm sure he'll be available for us. Thank you. Jeffrey, very quickly, did you find your mother to tell us her uh, Maui story? Uh, she, uh, she didn't want to tell. She, in fact, uh, I don't think she okay. went to Maui. Okay. But, uh, but I do want to say something about the, all this. Two things. One to Rachel Cole and one about the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Very quickly. And, and all right, Rachel, you're planning to expect. Are you planning to do this? Do this out in other states like Florida, like Florida? And as for Arnold Schwarzenegger, I made a com com comment about this. I said he's a he's a Republican that other Republicans should be looking up to and being like not not people like Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or you know although those kind of people. Well, also, Arnold Schwarzenegger is actually a very funny guy. I, I again, I very strongly recommend the three-part uh, Netflix documentary on him. He is really interesting. I heard him speak in Columbus once, and he spoke with uh, George Bush the first and Bruce Willis. And Bruce Willis was a total jerk. I mean, he's just a really offensive speech. But Arnold was very funny, very accommodating. And uh, as governor, I mean, you know, there were problems, but he was he was at least as pro uh, environment as uh, as Gray Davis or or um, what's the current guy, Gavin Newsom. So. Uh, anyway, uh, so actually, Rachel, what you should do is bring Arnold on the next Zoom call, and maybe he can All give right. some, some workout tips. I gotta say, Bobby Kennedy came to uh, Columbus once. He spoke oh. at the Hillel, and we went out to dinner. And then he took me to his hotel, where of course they had kept the workout room open for him. And he showed me all this stuff that Arnold had showed him. So because you know Arnold was his brother-in-law for a while. Anyway, uh, Bill Fenderson, we've got you. Um, uh, let me unmute you here. Are you with us, Bill Fenderson? Yo. Uh, no, I can't get you unmuted. All right, we'll try again. Um, okay, uh, we want to go. Rachel, thank you so much. Stay with us, if you will, because uh, the good news is going to be outweighed by Wendy in Florida. Um, uh, we have a situation which I believe is unprecedented in American history. I mean, it is astounding. Uh, Milo, I see your hand, but uh, can, do, you, do you need to speak real quickly or? Uh, do yep, you want I to? Oh, well, I. <clears throat> oh, wait, you talking we got about Bill me? on you too. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I put it down, I thought, but but um, I just wanted to say that Gray Davis was gonna sue Enron. And the reason that the uh, he was recalled and Schwarzenegger was put in was to drop the suit against Enron to recover right. money. Uh, so anyway, but he, that was not good. That was not cool that Arnold did that. Anybody who's interested in the Enron story, again, I'm going to recommend a Netflix documentary. It's called The Smartest Guys in the Room. And if you don't throw things uh, in the middle of this documentary about how Enron really raped and pillaged California, um, you're missing that. So, and you're right about Arnold, he did sell out to Enron, that was his ticket into the governor's mansion. Bill Fenderson, do we have you unmuted? Yep, I got you now, I have for some reason, I lost my internet. All right, go you again, know, okay, we're good. One and quick, I, I have a quick question. Prize, uh, Bill, you get the prize for best mustache, so congratulations. Okay, so what do we got? Listen, I got, I'm gonna throw something out here for you all to understand. And, when you think about everything that's been going on, 95% of our trouble started in 2016. Is that not correct? Well, you think about this. Now, I'm, I'm just putting this out here now. Every time we look at something that's going on, unfortunately, 
I've seen stuff happen that should not have happened. They get they let him get away with murder. I shouldn't be going like that. I agree. I agree. And these, and these people have a tendency to push back on so much stuff. It's not doing anything for the people. Okay. Very good. Thank you for that. Yep. And what's your, is that your wife in the background? What's she cooking? Hey, tonight we're having tuna fish and noodles. <laughs> I'll be there. Just send me your, send me Not your a problem. But no, no, that's what, I just want to throw that out there for you. I mean, I, I don't know if that, uh, but you, when you look at everything that's been going on with all the, the elections trying to be turned over and things of that magnitude, it gets to the problem. Everything goes crazy. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Thank you, Bill. Um, Wendy Lederman, um, you're going to give us the bad news from Florida. I was about to say that I, in American history, I've never seen an instance, and maybe I'm missing something, where a governor removes elected officials. I mean, this happens in a, in a fascist country, obviously, but Ron DeSantis has been firing uh, people who were elected to public office. Is that correct? Yes, the governor is on a rampage against democracy here in free Florida. Um, he's on a crusade for sure. So um, most recently, after a rash of a few others, which I'll get into in a moment, just for some background, on this week on Wednesday, um, the Ninth District's uh, state attorney, uh, Monique Worrell, who happens to be the state's only Black female state attorney, was suspended from office. Um, DeSantis claims that she uh, neglected duty and incompetence, and he cited cases that actually were um, sentenced by the judges, so they weren't even up to her discretion. Um, she ran a, her progressive campaign, which she won by 67% of the vote in Osceola and Orange counties. She was um, backed by Bernie Sanders, and she ran on criminal justice reform, um, rehab and diversion, over-incarceration and as well as police accountability. And it's believed that a lot of these attacks came after she started prosecuting dirty cops, like um, Officer uh, Jonathan Mills, who was charged with battery after he was doing cavity searches at, at um, traffic stops, unwarranted cavity searches, just randomly. Um, she called him a terrorist. And there was another um, deputy who shot an unarmed um, black kid um, high school student when he ran from his bike during a traffic stop. So she was the former director of the um, Criminal Justice Center at the University of Florida College of Law for 16 years. So she um, she's, quote, saying uh, the policies that we implemented surrounding diversion are based on research. And from my research, Florida has an incarceration rate of 795 people per 100,000, um, giving us the highest rate in the country. So um, the Prison Policy Initiative says, quote, Florida locks up a higher percentage, a higher percentage of its people than any other democracy on earth. And um, since she took office, the um in the inside prison site says um that in the ninth district, um, the overall crime rates in her district have um steadily decreased in, in the last year or so. Um, she was replaced by a Federalist Society judge, Andrew um, Bain, who in his first week already canceled her diversity programs and the diversion programs um, that provide alternative for nonviolent offenders. Also worth noting, her chief of staff was fired, who was on maternity leave. So this is a federal offense. And um, armed sheriffs showed up at her door while she's nursing to demand social media um, passwords 
Um, so about the voter suppression, as we discussed, because these are elected officials. So I'm gonna quote Worrell real quick. Um, when DeSantis makes the decision to suspend you because your politics don't ally, he's effectively invalidating the votes of those who chose you to represent them as prosecutor. In another one of, the, of DeSantis's many forms of voter suppression in the state of Florida, in addition to gerrymandering court districts and the voting districts, as well as forcing regulations against the individuals who are formerly incarcerated and recently gained their rights to vote under Amendment 4, DeSantis then en enacted election police who went around arresting people in his effort to scare people from voting. So um, in his rash of firing officials, this comes after last year's firing of Hillsborough County State Attorney Andrew Warren after he made a public statement saying that he's not going to prosecute um, for um, basically abortion crimes under the, the six-week um, ban. He wasn't going to make them a priority, and he was immediately suspended. Um, and it goes on to school boards. There were um, four school board members in Broward County and a superintendent who were let go. Um, there was the entire um, liberal arts college, um, the new school in uh, Sarasota, their president was fired and six board members were replaced by DeSantis appointees. And then they went on to go ahead and um, fire five other uh, uh, professors. There were five students in Tampa who were protesting against the diversity um, policies that in, in, in effect fired more um, unionized uh, professors and they were charged with battery against an officer, but the video um, shows that the police were actually groping them and very um, aggressive towards them. And now they face felony charges and um, possibly a decade in prison. So this not only tips the scales um, towards the lock them up culture, um, but it also opens the door for the extreme indoctrination through the education system. Right now, um, we just had approved um, PragerU, which is um, it's an unaccredited um, educational foundation that was started by a conservative pundit. And their materials, their educational materials are gonna be used in kindergartens. And they're making videos that um, are climate denying, they're cartoons that um, basically justify slavery, saying that it's culturally relative. And I'm just waiting for cartoons about um, how prison farms are, or happy camps or something. So to quote Worrell, um, justice does not prevail in the state at this time and she will be seeking re-election. So I hope we can all support her. Thank you so much. How can he legally do this? I mean, well, he's said the courts, what have the courts said about a governor re removing an elected official? Well, he suspends them. So he's not firing them and it's up to the legislature. And that's actually the context of that quote of justice does not prevail in the state of Florida at this time, because Worrell was talking about how we have a supermajority of Republicans in the legislature and all the courts are being stacked with um, DeSantis appointees. So he's ba it's basically a coup. Uh, and, and so by suspending them, that's within his his legal authority. But I mean, ethically, um, I mean, it just it makes no sense. So we just we need to, we're just trying to galvanize as many progressives as we can and, and take back the House and, and take back the state. But the place is totally gerrymandered, obviously. Yeah, yeah. The um the the congressional districts, he changed the maps against the Supreme Court's um approval. Uh now we have 20 uh blue or I'm sorry, we have 20 Republican districts and eight um Democratic districts. And he's also they're trying to um redistrict the courts as well and consolidate the courts. So basically, if you're in Key West, 
you'd have to travel to Miami, which is like 150 miles to get to your court date. And that's going to happen all around the country. And um, it just it that and that's a Sixth Amendment thing where it suppresses your access to the court. And they're all going to be um, conservative judges, obviously. It's it's a dire situation. It's, I, I really wish I had a better answer. Otherwise, that we need to just run on every level um, and, and take it back from the inside and raise awareness. Boy, this guy is really scary. Uh, uh, Ron DeSantis. He is. A, uh, I, I don't think. I mean, we've had extreme right wingers, but this guy is very systematic. He went to Harvard and Yale, and um, uh, we know he's gay, so uh, he he's uh, you know got that kind of insight. And uh, it, it's ter- This guy is really terrifying. Uh, Milo, you had a hand. Yes. Um, it it sounds to me like um, <clears throat> as long as. There's a supermajority in the of Republicans in the in the legislature that the um, decision of Santos to DeSant, DeSantos, all of a sudden I'm having trouble with his name, to uh, suspend this uh, popularly elected judge uh, cannot be re- reversed any other way. The only remedy is to have her reelected. But what would stop him from suspending her again once she's elected? Again, well, um, I would I, before before you answer just one other thing. I'm just wondering: is there no federal jurisdiction whatsoever? That's for, for what? For, Can she appeal to the remember. federal court to uh, overturn the suspension? Well, um, I know that her team of lawyers. I mean, I'm 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 not sure if she's going to be bringing um legal action. I'm I'm assuming she's going to fight with every um thing that she has. But um, there's no suit right now, which would need to come first before an appeal. Um, so they're they're working on it. I mean, whatever angle they can take. Um, I would say the the um, the future election. I mean, I think I'm not sure that DeSantis would be able to run for another term by the time she's reelected. Because I think this would probably be his final. Um, I'm guessing his final term here. But I do want to make the point that, you know, and I'm, I've been going around with the, um, the abortion petitions for our abortion amendment, and I'm seeing, you know, there is an extreme where I feel like a lot of the dregs, like the um, has trickled down to Florida, like we've kind of been like a magnet for the extremists. But a lot of people that voted for him and people that have conservative values are, he's really losing their support just because he's going so far. I mean, keep in mind, he, He's a total sociopath. We've said it here before. I mean, he was caught or he, he's been accused multiple times of torturing prisoners at Gitmo. This is the type of mentality of a person we're dealing with. And so it's like slowly the robes are coming off and his supporters are um, just less supportive of him now. Um, so we do have to look out for his minions and the people that are coming up. But even his minions, I mean, it's kind of a temperature check for them to see how far they're actually going to be able to go. And progressives are definitely pushing back. So there is there is a ray of hope, I believe. Um, but these are scary times. And hopefully this just sets the example for everyone else of um, for America to not become Florida. And let's bring Florida back to the home state that I know and love. And that's what we're working on. Well, Florida is the place right now where democracy and freedom go to die. Right. I mean, that's yeah. that's where, where it's really at. Uh, we have 72 people with us now. I want to say goodbye to my progressive radio network listeners. The, First hour is over, but we are going to continue. If you want to switch over and hear the sequel, the second hour of our Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection 
Zoom call, uh, go to www.grassrootsep for election protection. Uh, .org, www.grassrootsep for electionprotection.org. And uh, we will continue for another hour. But in the meantime, thank you um, guys at the uh, PRN for uh, running the show. And uh, thank you, everybody there for listening. We're told we have between 500 and 1,000 people who listen on PRN. So that's good to know uh, that we're joined by it. All of you, Mike Hirsch, uh, you've got a hand. What, what do you got, Mike? Let me unmute you here. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, first of all, welcome to my good friend Russell Green. Um, just in time to give us a, another amazing presentation, and I'm going to drop into the chat the uh, link to the PDA Zoom, which is going to help Russell organize marches all around the country to do something about the climate before the climate does unto us. So thank you, welcome Russell. Thank you, uh, Mike, for that. And of course the climate, I, I hope all the people on Maui get together and sue the oil and gas companies and the nuclear companies uh, for, for doing uh, to the, uh, causing that fire, which we know they did. And Mike, you're, you're, I'm sure your Zoom tomorrow will be uh, spectacular. Who do you have on tomorrow on your Zoom call, uh, Mike Hirsch? We'll have a bunch of the people who are organizing this. Mike Fox is no stranger to this Zoom. A constant organizer is going to be working on getting people in as many communities as possible to organize as close to home as they can if they can't get to New York for the massive march. Okay. And there is a little, there is a little confusion in um, the link that I'm um, putting in. The date is for the Zoom tomorrow. The march in New York is next month. So I apologize for any confusion. Well, let's uh, segue over. We, we're joined by the great Russell Green and also by Peter Fierkowski, who's going to talk to us about the climate. Um, uh, Russell, you are a, a major organizer of this event upcoming in New York. Um, uh, do you want to tell us a bit about it? We'll go to Peter and then come back to you. Russell, there you go. Sluggo, good to see your beautiful face. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I like my new teeth. Pretty good, huh? Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, though, Wendy, thank you for the invitation. And the presentation that I'll give is really brief, and we'll get to the point. I'll give it after Peter. But the short um, uh, version is that Secretary General Guterres, in advance of the United, um, the uh, Conference of Parties, the 28th Conference of Parties in December, November, December, in the United Arab Emirates is trying to really push the leaders of the countries that will be attending to commit to phasing out fossil fuel in advance of that. And he's holding a summit to that effect in at the UN on the 20th and 21st of September. And the climate movement sees that as a really important opportunity to show up and show strength of support for President Biden, not only to do that, but to go further and declare a climate emergency using the powers that are, are, are his to use. So I'm gonna take you through that uh, after Peter. Okay, good, thank you so much. And um, I do hope when you're dealing with the UN that you will urge them to uh, establish a demilitarized zone at Zaporizhia and the, the nuclear plants in Ukraine and take over operations there because 
anybody knows anything about nuclear power is absolutely terrified about those six reactors and six fuel pools in Ukraine that are uh, currently under Russian control. Uh, this is completely beyond whatever side you want to support in the Ukraine war. Uh, Zaporizhia um, uh, it could be six or 12 times worse than Chernobyl. And uh, I, we, we need the UN to go in there and take it over. So something to think about. Peter Fiakowski, you're gonna go on the uh, just follow Russell here, and then we'll give it back to Russell. Thank you for telling us about that march and for organizing it. Uh, Peter, you are a climate expert. Um, you've been brought in by Wendy and others. Uh, can you tell us who you are and what you wanna to talk to us about? Sure, sure. Uh I'm a, a by training a physicist from MIT. The, I'm a software entrepreneur in Silicon Valley, and that has nothing to do with the climate. Uh, my mission in life is to leave a world that we're proud of to our children, and that's where the climate comes in. And uh, <clears throat> I've spent uh, many years uh, working on poverty and hunger issues, and then realized about uh, 12 years ago that that was actually a waste of time because we're dying because of the climate. And so I took on the climate and asked the question, what's the outcome we want? So the what I'm going to say is a little bit mind-blowing because we've been looking at climate since the 70s. And uh, when I was a freshman at MIT in the 70s, I said, oh, look at that. We're going to have to get a thousand gigatons of carbon out of the atmosphere by the turn of the century which for a 19-year-old was you know, two lifetimes away. And I didn't worry about it. I said, yeah, we, we have submarines. We know how to get carbon out of the air. We've been cleaning up rivers and ponds. And it, it, it was early on and the, you know, the Hudson River and the, you know, they were bad still, but they were cleaning up. When I, and, and by 2010, I realized we're not cleaning up the mess. We're still using the thinking from 1970, 1980, that we have to just stop emissions. In 1990, the UN said we have to stop emissions. Well, you know, our planet is burning up, as I think everybody knows. We have to restore and stabilize the climate. Now, the interesting thing is we know how to do that, but we're not talking about it. And so... Uh, it's going to be very important to, um, there you, oh, this is interesting, global CO2 levels. Anyway, I, I, I'll have to look at that later. Oh, oxygen, yes. Um, so uh, what's interesting is that the, the if we, all of us want to restore the climate, we want to give our children a climate that humans have actually, uh, actually uh, sustained long-term, actually survived long-term. And that's not the UN goal anymore. When the UN thought about it 35 years ago, they, in 1990, they said, well, uh, let's just stabilize it. It ain't too bad. If you remember, 1990 wasn't too bad. It's now too bad. And we need to update the goal. Because it turns out, you know, I think most people have heard of the ice ages. Nature knows how to get the CO2 out of the atmosphere. We haven't pursued that because we're still in 1990 thinking. And what I want to promote in this audience is let's advance the thinking. Let's get the UN to advance their goal to restore and stabilize the, the CO2 and the climate. And how do we do that? We do it, um, uh, well, first we have to decide we want to do it, of course. 
And then once we decide we have, uh, we can do what nature does. And uh, th the way nature gets the thousand gigatons of CO2 out of the air, uh, you know, 10 times in just the, the last million years is with photosynthesis in the ocean. And so there's this thing that many of you have heard of called ocean iron fertilization. And it's been promoted as a terrible thing uh, without understanding what it is. It isn't changing the ocean. It's much more uh, similar to, uh, if you remember Mount Pinatubo in 91, it erupted, put a lot of dust in the ocean around the Philippines. It, if you look at the, at the CO2 graph, uh, the healing curve, you'll see the CO2 levels were flat in the next year in 92. The iron that was in that in the dust was enough to get all the CO2 out that we put in the atmosphere uh, that year. And so we know how to do it. The only reason we're not doing it is that it's not, we haven't set the goal. So you're saying iron dust is the idea? Uh, and how do you administer this? You, what's, what's the program? Well, uh, the, the, uh, well, the way you actually do it is you get iron dust. It, globally, it'll be $10 million worth of iron dust. So it's a trivial amount, maybe $100 million of ships. And you actually put the uh, iron dust in very small amounts um, in, in what they call uh, me mesoscale eddies, about 100 miles in diameter, and it's going around and it keeps it contained. And uh, so that's how you apply the iron. Um, in one of those, it would be about 100 tons. It's about a, a, a hundredth of a teaspoon for every square meter, every square yard. So it's al almost nothing. And uh, do you have any uh, a documentation on this? Something you can put in the chat with a link? Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, just I'll... put it in, in the chat. People can look you up. And yeah, great. Okay. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for that. Thank great. you. Um, oh, there you are. All right. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this is this is on uh, uh, what the actually I read a piece somewhere that uh, says claims that the the war in Ukraine has actually speeded up the spread of renewables in Europe. A, a very interesting concept. Uh, um, uh, I hope it's true, actually. Okay, um, uh, we have um, uh, Myla and, and Justin and Tatanka real quick, and then we'll go to Russell Green. Myla, go ahead. Hi, I'm sorry, I lost my screen. I, I, um, there you are. There I am. Um, I, I actually have a question for Russell, but also for uh, Peter. And um, I want to ask Peter, and then we'll go to Russell. Okay, so I'm, I'm primarily focused on the fact that it seems like the the climate movement has been uh, bifurcated by the nuclear power industry, and they've tried to convince many people in the climate movement that we need nuclear power in order to address our climate catastrophe crisis and um and i i know that um for example president biden uh, last november pledged 1.1 billion dollars of federal money from a, a tranche of money that was is dedicated for climate action and he dedicated 1.1 billion dollars for PG&E to continue operating its uh, decrepit uh, Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant in California. So um, I'm wondering if you can just talk about the, the division in the climate movement and how we can address that. Thank you. 
Yeah. So, so uh, nuclear power is an interesting thing. The good the the good news about it is it's almost ten times more expensive than solar and wind. And so the the the, the almost every you know, the almost every utility company is not going to build another nuclear plant. Period. End of story. Um, you know, if you're up at the North Pole, you might someone might make one, but they don't have enough money for it. So. Uh, it's a bit of a red herring to worry about nuclear power. They're not going to build any more of them. It's just way too expensive. And so my recommendation is focus on restoring the climate because that's what we really want to do. But yeah. they're going to try to keep the, the the decrepit nuclear power plants that are still operating. They're they're trying to extend the life of those, and that in that way, it's not a red herring. And that's what I'm primarily concerned right. about. Well, let me say, since she's brought it up, and then we're going to go to Russell, um, that in California. And this was going to be later, but um, Peter, since you obviously understand the basics here. Um, and by the way, anybody's interested, Bobby Kennedy's position on nuclear power is that it's too expensive and it's uninsured. And yes. that's how, and that's, he's been consistent with that for many years. He wrote the introduction to a book I wrote called Silvertopia uh, back in 2007. And I don't think his position has changed. But uh, the reality is in California right now, um, we, yeah, this is terrifying shit here. Uh, we, we face in California, a, what they say is a, a crisis and an opportunity. And we have confirmed that um, in, in, in October, probably starting around October 1st, Pacific Gas and Electric will be shutting Diablo Canyon Unit 1 for refueling. This is a 50 day process happens once every year and a half or so, where they take out the, uh, they shut the reactor, they take out uh, some of the fuel arrays and replace about a third of the fuel and put the, uh, that third from the reactor core into a spent fuel pool. Now we happen to know, uh, the, the last time that the NRC uh, checked Diablo Canyon for embrittlement was in 2002, a mere 21 years ago. <laughs> and, Embrittlement, and we've talked about this on, on the show before, embrittlement is a very serious um, syndrome where the, uh, the year after year bombardment of the reactor core uh, and the pressure vessel that contains it from radiation, heat, and pressure changes the um, chemical composition of the metal in the reactor pressure vessel that holds the, uh, the nuclear reaction. And if you have an embrittled reactor pressure vessel, and God forbid there's an incident, a meltdown or some kind of other uh, situation where you have to rapidly shut the nuclear reaction, the system is set up to pour water into the core. But if the pressure vessel, which will be superheated at that moment, is embrittled, it will shatter because it's lost its resilience. And if, for God's sakes, God help us, a reactor pressure vessel shatters while the core is going, you have an apocalypse. It will, it will create a steam, hydrogen, and possibly fission explosion, which we had three times at Fukushima in units one, two, and three. And in unit three, if you look at the pictures of the explosion, there's a mushroom cloud. And there are people who believe 
that we had a fission explosion at Fukushima Unit 3. Now at Diablo Canyon, we know from experience in the anti-nuclear movement that the best time to keep a reactor shut is when it's already shut. And that will be shut in October. And we want, we are gonna do everything in our nonviolent power to after Diablo goes down to keep it down. And that now that there is precedent for this. In 1991, uh, sorry, 1991, Yankee Row on the Deerfield River in Western Massachusetts was hit by lightning. And uh, I, I'll tell you that the lightning was the result of a Quaker prayer circle. And there's a deeper story to that, as you might guess. But nonetheless, the lightning hit the reactor and it shut. And due to the politics of the situation, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission demanded that Yankee Row be tested for embrittlement before it would be allowed to reopen. And Yankee Atomic, which owned the reactor, came back to the NRC and said, we can't do the test, so we're not gonna reopen. Now, it's a very complicated situation at Diablo. There's technically a little piece of metal that they could pull out and test, but PG&E now says, they can't do that. They, <laughs> I love this. When they were asked to prove they were not embrittled, um, oh, and this is Zaporizhia. Um, uh, how recent is this story? Um, anyway, at Diablo Canyon, when they go down, we are going to demand in every way, shape, or form that they test for embrittlement. And we know two things. Number one, it may not be possible to test for embrittlement. And number two, if they do test for embrittlement, that reactor will show it's incredibly embrittled. Now the NRC- Your knows... audio is breaking up, Harvey. Oh no. Are we okay now? Can you hear me? Can you hear me okay? Now I can. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, we are reasonably sure. Well, we know in 2002, when they tested for embrittlement, that Diablo was one of the five most embrittled reactors in the country. That was 21 years ago. Many of the other five have already shut. So this is our moment. This has to be our moment. It's starting now, but especially in October. Three years ago, we circulated a petition, which is at my website, solartopia.org, where we had more than 2,400 people sign, including Jane Fonda, Willie Tomlin, Martin Sheen, Eric Roberts, Graham Nash, um, Jody Evans, um, a lot of really great people signed, asking Newsom to inspect Diablo Unit 1 before it reopened, because it was shut then for refueling. And we are 100% certain that he read the petition and he blew it off. He sent us back a nowhere letter and did not do an independent inspection, which is insane. The reactor is almost 40 years old, for God's sake. And so now what we're gonna be asking this fall is that before, and we're 100% certain that unit one will shut sometime probably in October, but certainly before the end of the year, it has to be refueled. And they have to do it while the reactor is shut. And that is the time you test for embrittlement. So, we, and other things, crack pipes, all that stuff. Now what's likely to happen is A, they can't do it, and the NRC will give them an excuse. 
or B, they will do it and it'll show it's incredibly embrittled and the NRC will change the standard, <laughs> which they've done before. But we as Californians, and not everybody in the college in California, but Russell and me, uh, we're in LA and the, the, um, the uh, cloud from um, there's the, where you see it says, Chef Diablo slash news. If you go there, you can see the petition. So, um, uh, you know, we need, this is the most important battle in the world aside from Zaporizhia. This battle over Diablo Canyon, I hate to be California centric, but you know, that's the way it is. Um, there it is, Chef Diablo nukes. That's where the petition is and we're gonna revive it. It's actually technically at, at move on, uh, but uh, we need to make sure that when Diablo Canyon Unit 1 shuts, it never reopens. That is a big, big, big deal. It, it's surrounded by earthquake faults. Their own NRC inspector said that it should not operate because they can't prove that it's safe uh, from the earthquake. Uh, more than a dozen earthquake faults at Diablo Canyon. And uh, the reactor in 24 will be 40 years old. Even though it began, if they started building it, in 1967. Hey, Sluggo, with oh. all due respect, if we listed all the reasons to, to shut down yes. Diablo, okay, so it would go on forever. <laughs> okay, so here we are. So um, I wanna take questions on this. Peter, Peter, I hope you don't mind being with us. I don't know if you're in California, but um, um, you know, and Russell is with us. Uh, so Mimi, I know you've had experience with this. Uh, go ahead and, and comment, please. And by the way, uh, just one last thing. The group that we support on this is the Mothers for Peace in San Luis Obispo. M-O-T-H-E-R-S-F-O-R-P-E-A-C-E dot O-R-G. They're leading the fight on this and we, we need them to win. Go ahead, Mimi. Thank you so much. It's great to see everybody. Thanks for calling on me. Um, I, Grigri, kindly put your Solartopia um, link in the chat and you'd said you were going to revive your no nukes or shut Diablo Canyon petition, um, but it, it, it didn't work for me. It said, join us or something. And I clicked in that box and, and it didn't work for me from my right. iPhone. So um, is so, but then you said, well, I was trying that. I, you said that there's a, um, what was it? Change.com petition to shut Diablo on. or is it move on? I think it might be move on, but check with me. Anybody needs to, but the, the prime place to go right now is Mothers for Peace. They need okay, the support, and, and uh, I will and get. I, I will make sure that I uh, revive. I'll get my grandson to fix my uh, my link, and uh, we'll figure that out. Okay. Thank you, Gregory. And I just wanted to say, I hope I didn't seem um, too militant with the Mothers for Peace lady, because uh, you know I really wanted to do something, and I'm well, like, give go. me a link, and and she said we're working on you know the courts right now. So I, I hope I didn't make her uncomfortable. No, and I no, sincerely no, apologize so, if I did. We will we will do this. I'll I'll revive the link. We'll send it out, and uh, we'll, we'll get. We, but now now obviously is the time. Uh, thank you, Mimi. Uh, it's Drew just Martin. so it's just so frustrating, and I really feel for you folks in SoCal and the SLO area. And and I tell people this was on the front page of the SF Chronicle when this was revealed, and Senator Boxer called for the plant to be shut down. I mean that's the really easy nugget I have to tell people, and that Friends of the Earth split from, I think, the Sierra Club over this yes, issue. That's right. So that's the, my, the to, you know. The thing to remember is that Diablo will be shut. The reactor will shut in October. 
and it's our job to keep it shut. That's number one. Uh, I realize, uh, Russell, do you have a time constraint? Do you want to take over now for the moment, or should I let people ask their questions? Thank you for asking. I'm good. You're good for the moment? Okay, Drew Martin and then Tatanka. Drew, I don't think you've had a chance yet, and then we'll go to Tatanka and Myra and Justin. Uh, Drew Martin, go ahead. I'm going to unmute you here. Okay. Um, are you unmuted, Tatanka? Okay. Uh, sure. Tatanka, go ahead while we try and unmute. I want to, I want to, uh, good to see you, Russell. Thank you for bringing Peter on. Uh, he disappeared. I went, oh, there he is. Okay. Um, and thank you, Wendy, for getting him on. I just want to say, Peter has a book out called Climate Restoration. Everybody should read it. Okay. It's real simple. It'll back up what he's saying. He came in, uh, my friend Ephraim Wyeth brought him on to our Circle of 100 last fall. And it's rare to get Danny Sheehan to show interest in something he doesn't know. And he questioned Peter about, you know, that technique and another technique. And he immediately said, Tatanka, order 12 books. My whole staff needs to read it. And, and the work that we're doing to create a progressive government in waiting, a whole cabinet in waiting, this is going to take front and center on the, on the climate change issue because he asks the question and he has an affordable and a scalable answer that we all can act on. We can possibly within a decade, tell me if I'm right, Peter, we can have a restored climate to pre-industrial levels, even if the oil companies keep doing what they're doing, if we focus on a couple of these solutions, is that correct? Well, the restoration would be by 2050, but by 2030, we can be inevitably on our way. So there's no turning back. Yes. No what the oil companies do. Yes. So it's okay. it's really important. And thank you for showing up. Thank you for showing oh, up. Put, your, uh, put some links to your book or uh, in the chat, please. And, um, you know, <laughs> um, yes. uh, uh, Steve Caruso is encouraging people to plant hemp everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Everything else we're doing is important and good. But to solve the question, you need to understand this. And it's big type. It's readable. Okay, <laughs> you can you can get to it really quickly. Thank you, Peter. Okay. Thank you, Russell. Thank you. Uh, Russell, raise your hand when you need to jump in. Um, uh, Drew, I, Drew Martin, I can't. Yes. You yes. Uh, uh, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, this is a, a really uh, this is kind of a Bill Gates idea, and it's basically an idea to get everybody to pretend that, hey, we don't have to do anything. We don't have to change our lifestyle. We don't have to put on solar panels. We just wait for MIT scientists to do all these magical things and it's gonna save us. Well, the thing that people have been looking into this, other scientists, and you know, I respect MIT and the scientists that are at MIT, but let's face it, MIT supported a lot of bad ideas in the past. As you well know, MIT is fully in support of nuclear power. So, just because somebody comes from MIT doesn't mean they know it all. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, Drew. I, I, I appreciate your comment. Peter, I'm sure you, I'm sure you sir, you get a lot of that. I, I, I just hope that PDA isn't going to support this because I'm not going to be able to support PDA if PDA okay. is going to get in bed with this type of idea. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that, Drew. And Peter, I'm sure you get a lot of that. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, post your link and I'll let Drew take a look and maybe you, can, you guys can 
Well, I, I, can, I can say okay. I can say a quick word on it, which Go is at, at this point, you the MIT is not interested. MIT is interested in the status quo. And what, uh, this is not about the technology. This is about setting the goal. You know, when, when Kennedy said we're going to go to the moon, we did not have to know. We didn't have batteries. The only batteries we had were lead batteries like your car. We had to invent batteries and a hundred different things. For this, we just have to imitate nature if we want to. But we need the Kennedy to say we want the re to restore the climate. And that's what's needed. That's what we need you for. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, Jeffrey in the chat has suggested that Arnold Schwarzenegger should run against Ron DeSantis for governor of Florida. I think that'd be a great idea, but I think Arnold lives in Colorado. So <laughs> I may be wrong about that, but uh, uh, we'll double check. Uh, Myla and then Je Justin, and then we're gonna go to Russell Green. Myla, go ahead. Russell, um, thank you so much for your years and years and years of leadership on this issue. You've done so much and it's, we really appreciate what you do. Thank you, my friend. Um, um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago, um, on a PDA Sunday call, we were informed about some legislation that I believe you had a hand in, which is really important in terms of um, having Congress and, uh, and, the, and the Senate declare a, a climate emergency. And I, I think that, um, that that is extraordinarily important. And one of, the, um, one of the authors of the legislation is someone, Sheldon Whitehouse, who um, is a great leader in many respects, but who has also authored legislation sponsored, sponsoring uh, the continued use of nuclear power. He and um, Earl Blumen, I think it was Earl Blumenhauer, that he also is someone who has been very outspoken about his support for nuclear power. And uh, and so I uh, I took a look at the legislation and it's um, and it's really pretty um, sparse. It just basically says that the Biden administration should do everything and anything that they can in order to address the climate emergency. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the things that um, the Biden administration recently did was that they dedicated $1.1 billion from a fund set up to address the climate emergency. And they, and they dedicated that $1.1 billion to shore up the um, decrepit Diablo nuclear power plant. So uh, I'm, I guess um, I'm wondering whether you would have any in influence to make sure that, um, that this legislation is not used as a way, you know, as a, some kind of a, a secret a stalking horse or, or wh whatever, I'm not quite sure what to call it, but, but as, as a way to, uh, as an excuse to pour more money into uh, the uh, failing nuclear power industry and the very dangerous and risky um, continuation of, of aging nuclear power plants. Thank you for that question, my friend, and for all of your years of remarkable diligence and uh, courage on this. Uh, I'm putting the bill that you're referring to into the text for everybody. Uh, we're and I'm going to talk about that to, uh, the resolution in my presentation. And yes, we should talk to Blumenhauer's office, and we do have an opportunity to have that conversation, and you can be part of that. So let's 
let's talk about that and uh, separately. All of this, I think there's a lot of potential within this conversation on the nuclear side uh, to begin to build some of this coalition power that you already have into the climate movement more centrally. So let's talk about that. One thing to remember, we do not cool the planet with a radioactive fire that burns at 571 degrees Fahrenheit. That, that, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Or with fusion at 100 million degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, come on. You know, let's just bring the sun down to Earth. I mean, come on, guys. Use your brains. Okay, Justin, uh, with your big brain, then we're going to go to Russell. Uh, Just, Justin, did you want to throw something in? Oh, you're not, not unmuted. There you go. There. Oh, there. There. In addition to uh, the solutions that you have provided in your document linked in the chat, I'm wondering, Peter, uh, if you have come across anything specifically related to nature's way of digesting single-use plastic, because that town that just burned down in uh, Maui, uh, which there are many famous museums and uh, nature preserves uh, has seen uh, from what I heard from locals, their plan for getting rid of waste is to just dig a bigger hole, drill, 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 baby drill. So uh, what can we do from nature's perspective to uh, stop our addiction to single use plastic? Well, I don't have a good answer for you. There are bacteria that are being developed uh, I'm not an expert in that field. The from the uh, progressive perspective, what I recommend is keep an eye on where we want to be. So talk about the the clean planet that we're going to, and that will induce people and and uh, inventors to find the solutions. So with the climate, we say envision the climate that we want, which is what it was a hundred hundred or two hundred years ago. And once you do that doing the nature's method is like a no-brainer but we haven't thought you know that hasn't been on the table yet and but it is now and the same thing with a, a plastic free ocean just envision a plastic free ocean and then there's a lot of ways to start getting there of course uh stopping using for single-use plastic is very critical and that a lot of progress on that's happening I, you have to give a lot of credit to people who are working on it they're making a lot of progress well, you know, the, it's the nature of plastic that's the problem. I mean, it's a front end problem. Certainly somebody is going to find or has already found and it's been suppressed a, a, an organic substitute for plastic. And oh, I yeah. do uh, want to suggest at the tail end uh, one, one thing that would work, which is mycelium uh, mushrooms. If you look at how, a film called Fantastic Fungi with uh, the great um, Paul Stamets, um, they, they, there are mushrooms, mycelia that will uh, break down plastic, and uh, then you can eat the mushrooms. But that's a different story. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Justin. Uh, Russell Green, it's a, a joy to have you, um, and uh, we love to see your your music studio. And um, you've got this event coming up that you're organizing. Uh, tell us about it, please. Thank you, um, Sluggo, and um, thank you everybody for the warm welcome. Um, hey, Harvey, you froze. Um, I was Dorothy, Dorothy, we can't hear you. Oh, Russell, um, 
And Russell, your your connection is not great. So if there's anything you can do, move closer to your microphone. You know, I feel weird telling somebody who's such a superstar with music how to sound better. But if you could do can you hear me now? Yeah. Russell, can you hear me now? Your neighbor Dorothy wants to jump in. So go ahead. Yeah, maybe you guys Dorothy, can pitch in and get a new microphone or something. <laughs> go ahead. Did you hear about the decision in Montana where the young people won? Oh yes, we wanted to make. Did you want to make? Did you want to comment on that? And I know you were working with some young people who was had a, a, a lawsuit like this years ago. Yes, yeah, so I'm sure Russell will get to that. And Russell, I'm sure you're invited to Dorothy's fundraiser on September 9th. I know you and Jane Fonda go way back, so um, <laughs> everybody and so not, not, not with not with Jane Fonda, although she's remarkable. Yes. I sent this article to Sluggo in the group earlier, uh, and there's some really a lot of excitement around this. As Dorothy was referencing, PDA, uh, and at the time I was in my role at PDA, but also the advisory board chair for a group called Kids versus Global Warming. And so that was in 2015, where the first lawsuit by Kids versus Global Warming against the United States government based on the same legal theory. Uh, it's being led by our Children's Trust, remarkable group of lawyers, attorneys, and a legal theory that there is responsibility to uh, it would, to the government to preserve the commons. And the, the lawsuit is based on a suit against the, the violation of that inherent right. So Absolutely. And I want to show you, this is the enemy here. This is King Kong, coal, oil, nukes, and gas. So never forget it. Uh, and, you know, the people of Lahaina uh, need to sue uh, the coal, oil, nuke, and gas industry, as the kids have done in Montana. So, um, Dorothy, thank you for raising that. Again, your fundraiser for uh, Steve is, is uh, on September 9th. I'm sure Russell will be there. Go ahead, Russell. Thank you. It's very significant, Dorothy, and we should talk more about that. I'm going to stay on Harvey's schedule, though. And I also just want to thank um, Peter for his presentation and sort of respond to Drew's direct question. No, PDA is not supporting that. But I would say, and Peter knows this, Peter spoke uh, at a conference that we did together at NYU in 2016, I think that was, Peter. And we've been in relationship, we haven't spoken in a long time, but the notion that there is going to need to be mechanisms to draw down emissions is not debatable. The question is how we are going to do that. And I think Drew eloquently articulated the position that I am in, although I am very open to reading your book and agree with Wendy and everybody who has said, let's have the conversation. The risk has always been that there is this sense that we can continue as we're continuing and everything will be okay. That's what carbon capture and storage is in terms of identifying a means for doing something that hasn't yet been invented. The fact that there are people that are trying to invent it is critical and we have to have a robust conversation around that. There are, of course, are methods that are completely natural and are outlined by Paul Hawkins brilliantly in Drawdown and then in the follow-up to that regeneration. So I'm going to put that aside for the moment and really focus us in on the opportunity that's in front of each of us. Uh, and I'm just going to go to a share if I'm able to. And um, I'm going to go to a larger screen if I can move everybody out of the way. Just let me know when you could. Am you seeing that full screen now, my friends? Yeah, very okay. good. All right, so this is 
the march uh, that I referenced earlier in the hour uh, that is happening during a week of events in New York City in September. And sort of the framing of this is, for those of you in the climate movement, you know that there is a real sense of despair, disappointment when the Inflation Reduction Action, the Inflation Reduction Act passed, because it was the most ambitious piece of climate legislation ever passed in the United States, and it was utterly inadequate to what it is that we're up against. So how can we move ourselves back into what it was that we have been calling for, which is emergency mode? And we have an ally at the United Nations in Secretary General Guterres. And in advance of the climate um, conference of parties in, we're gonna have the 28th conference of parties with emissions still rising after 27 of them uh, in November, December of this year in the United Arab Emirates. And in advance of that, he is calling a summit, the Climate Ambition Summit, and he's inviting G20 countries, all countries, and he's challenging the countries in a way that hasn't been done before. He wants them to commit and their individual commitments based on the country. And the United States is being asked to phase out fossil fuels. And I've enumerated those requests that from the Secretary General below. And he's calling it a acceleration agenda. The climate movement sees this as a remarkable opportunity to both show the support, I was going to say pressure, I mean both, show the support and pressure President Biden, and I'm sure you're tracking the news this week, where he's declaring, almost nearly declaring a climate emergency, and the distinction between what it actually means for him to declare that emergency and what powers he is able to access in doing so is remarkable. I'll also very quickly as an aside say that many in the climate movement are, are struggling because Sierra Club, um, the League of Conservation Voters and others endorsed President Biden and Vice President Harris for re-election, which was very upsetting to the climate movement because it allows him to speak as if he is a climate president and there is, and that he believes in science when in fact what he is doing pushing forward legislation that is inadequate, simultaneously authorizing, permitting additional fossil fuel infrastructure is insulting. And that's what we're trying to push back on and throw that both into this momentum moving into the conference of parties and into the election conversation. We don't want him to be able to just claim he is the climate president. So there is a week around this ambition summit that has been climate ambition, something that has been built in by our allies in the climate movement. This is youth led by Fridays for Future and other New York based organizations, but really remarkable partners of PDAs and others are, are participating. And PDA is going in very big for this because the climate emergency has been central as Milo pointed out, that legislation we have worked on introducing in three different Congresses. So there's going to be opportunities for global solidarity, on the 17th, when there is the, the Sunday, there's a march for fossil fuel, I will be going. I never fly, I, but I'm making an exception because I believe this is in a moment that, that calls for me to be there and show up. We want this to be a large march to show the president, to show the United Nations, to show the world that the United States is in this. And so we're calling on you for many ways to potentially participate, including going as 
Mike Hirsch mentioned and Harvey reiterated, we're getting a lot of calls for people to be able to do things more local, so decentralized. The March leaders and organizers are working on that. I will give them that feedback and we'll continue to try to see how we can do it locally as well. But there's many ways to tap in. On the, the day after the March, there is going to be a mass civil disobedience and there will be civil disobedience um, um, Nonviolent mass civil disobedience across New York through that week. Many places to tap in. Then the conference on two days. And just this is worthy of note that there will be a press conference in DC. The rally is only going to be indigenous speakers and youth leaders. These are the demands from the march. They're different than the demands that Secretary Guterres have made. They're, they're more um, elaborate and they speak directly to our effort to declare an emergency, as you see in bullet point three. Not going to read these because I know we're pushing for time, but I can certainly make this available to you. And you can see it on the um, website, which is Danette, or Mike can put it in the chat for us, the end fossil fuels. I'm going to talk about that in a second. And note the asterisk where they're, they're really making the point that we don't want to repeat anything that we've done. We're talking about creating a new world, not repeating a world that has failed us. So PDA, as I said, is going in big. We have calls starting tomorrow night. Danette, who's on this call, remarkable organizer with PDA. I'm hoping Mike is going to be there. And many of our uh, state leaders are endorsing this march, and we're going to begin organizing how we are intending to play. A big thing, as I've already mentioned, is phone banking. And Mike Fox is probably the best leader of phone banking in the country, and he is lending PDA's expertise to that. So if that's something that works for you and you you can join on that. That would be important, especially now, because turnout over the next few weeks is our focus. Now, because of PDA's extensive years of working in trying to become great lobbyists, citizen lobbyists, we had Brownback Lunch Vigil years ago, some of you were part of that. that, that evolved into the Educate Congress, and now it is the Congressional Liaison Program, which the net can also drop a link in where we're going and visiting offices across the country of Congress members and members of the Senate, much more strongly focused in the House for years. And we have a remarkable uh, team. And if you want to be part of that, it becomes important. We've presented to Representative Blumenauer's office and to Senator Sanders' office, who were the co-sponsors of this legislation, H. Conrad's 37 in the House, Senate Conrad's 9 in the Senate. The House has 75 co-sponsors. If we can get that over 100, it shows President Biden, which adds to the pressure, that the United States Congress supports him declaring a climate emergency. So this is very synergistic, synchronistic with what it is that the March leaders are doing, and they're excited about it, and it's something PDA can add. I'm also going to show you there's a pledge. For those of you who aren't working at that level, who might be able to access city council members, supervisors, Central Committee members, anywhere where you have access, there's a pledge that you could ask for signing. And I'm going to share that with you. We'll be talking about it on the call. And if you're from a different organization and can't join the PDA effort and want to start your own, I'm going to tell you how to do that too. And that would be awesome. There's also news out of New York State Senate from a close a friend of mine and a close friend of PDA's, Paul Alexander, legislative director for Senator James, not Bernie, Sanders just issued a letter using the same bullet points to all assembly members and Senate members of the New York State Senate to sign on with your colleague letter to support this call for President Biden to demand a climate emergency 
or declare a climate emergency at that summit. So those are all ways you can tap in. You can endorse it. I'm just showing you a page from the actual website or PDA. You can see many of our states. And since yesterday, I think many more have signed on. Your organization can do that too. And I will drop the link in if the net hasn't already. And really that uh, is it. If there's questions, I'm, I'm happy to take them. I'll stop the screen share from, from there. Thanks very much. Wonderful, Russell. Thank you. Really great. Much appreciated. Uh, Tatanka, go ahead, Tatanka. Russell, uh, do you have all the speakers nailed down already? You know, I didn't say, Tatanka, it's good to see you, bro. Uh, I, uh, I've, I have been in, in um, musical hiatus and poetic hi hiatus, and that's been my focus. A few friends who really started pushing them this March reached out to me, and it felt so authentic, well-timed, and powerful to me that I've, I've just re-entered. So this is about a week back for me. Okay. I'm on all of the calls and um, the, the sense that I got are the speakers, the youth who are leading this have those speakers. The DC rally is a different thing and we should talk about any ideas you have on that. Well, I just wanted to know because uh, uh, Takata and Chase Iron Eyes, you know, from Standing Rock, and Takata is both a youth speaker and an indigenous speaker and quite a leader and uh, <laughs> friends with Greta. And anyway, uh, Madonna Thunderhawk is an elder who's an amazing also leader from Standing Rock. So I'm in touch with them if you need any more. That's great. I will actually circle back with you and then I'll. I'll okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Good to see yeah, you. Thanks. And I, I want to hear about your music later. We'll talk later. Um, okay, M Mimi, Mimi Spreadbury. Uh, get you unmuted here, and then Thank we are going to go to Ron Leonard in a few minutes. Ron to talk about the war on solar, which Russell you'll you'll probably want to hear about. Go ahead, Mimi. Thank you all. I'll be fast. Nice to see you again, Russell, with those clarifications. And um, I wanted to let you know when I had the honor to meet um, Bernie Senator Sanders with a local indigenous group, I told him how one of the climate marches was life changing for me. So he very likely could support your march. And um, so I think that's a, a positive. It's very likely he could. Then also, I hope you've reached out to Extinction Rebellion New York because they they do a lot of things and I'm sure they'd be delighted to help you with nonviolent direct action. Um, I get emails from them. I, I signed some petition how they um, they had members that protested in, in front of art and they're being hit with all these, you know, very steep sanctions. So I hope you reach out to them. Thank, Thank you. you. I have many friends at XR and I will. Thanks for that. Uh, Russell, are you going to do a, a counterpart march in LA or just going to keep it to New York? You know, as I was, it's come up a few times and we're getting a lot of those requests from our membership. So I've relayed that back to the march organizers. It's really ramping up fast and anyone who's on this call has ever tried to organize something like this knows how hard that is to do. So I think if they give us some space to do it, um, organizing in all of the cities across the country makes it easier for people and uh, doesn't force us all to get on planes and create more emissions while asking um, to stop fossil fuels. So okay. something like that, we'll work on it. Thanks for the question. Mimi, thanks. Okay. Wonderful, Russell, great to have you with us. Stay with us, if you will. We've got 54 people, which is a magic number. For those of you who are interested, it's a triple high, uh, 318s. Um, uh, anyway, I do want to mention before we go to Ron Leonard uh, for an update on solar, uh, which everybody needs to hear that um, 
another major crisis, you know, I, I, as, as I've said, uh, I would hope that you're going to the United Nations if you ask them to take over Zaporizhia in, the, in Ukraine. To me, it's the most terrifying situation on earth, at least the equal of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, we also have a crisis at Fukushima. Right now, they want to dump a million tons of radioactive liquid into the Pacific Ocean. Uh, they're talking about doing similar things, not on the same scale, dumping radioactive liquid into the Hudson River at the, um, at the Indian Point nuke, which has been shut, and at uh, Pilgrim in Cape Cod Bay, south of Boston, where the reactor has been shut there. Uh, those are uh, uh, two of the crises. And um, also, um, you know, the, uh, the situa situation at the Abo, which is really huge and really imminent and tied intricately to what I want to talk to Russell Green, uh, Russell, um, uh, Ron Leonard about. I don't know, Ron, if you've met Russell, but uh, Ron Leonard is one of the great founders of the uh, renewable energy industry. And we're seeing a new attack on solar in California, um, where you know, for now they've the CPUC has actually attacked um, selling power back to the grid from the from individual homes, but they're also now attacking um, uh, housing complexes with multiple metered uh, solar uh, panels. Do you want to talk about that a bit, Ron, and update us on what's happening in the solar energy industry? I sure can. Take a look in the chat. There's good news and bad news, and the good news is. This is inevitable. It's not going to be if it's going to happen that we transfer to 100% renewable energy. It's just a matter of when. And the numbers are looking good. But, of course, there are some special interests, let's call them, that would like to drag this out around the block and make it harder to do. And the CPUC, uh, California uh, regulatory body, really has done a bad thing again. And that, again, is... What are you going to do if you are a rate payer and you see your rates go up every year? What's the out? Well, the out was that you could put a solar system on your roof and get a fair reimbursement for the power that you give back to your neighbors on the grid. And everyone was great. And, well, California put 1.5 million solar systems on people's roofs. It saved the grid on multiple occasions, as I've said before, and everything was great until the NEM3 rule passed, which said any energy you put back on the grid, you only get three to five cents on, and uh, why are you putting a solar system on your roof where you really are extending your payback? So what happens after that? The other escape clause that you have is Community solar and California was famous for more or less starting community solar. Community solar really means that you can have a solar system there and virtually transfer that credit that that solar system creates to your electricity bill. And uh, the way that it should have happened, and, and California has actually proposed that that would happen, is to give you an on-bill credit. In other words, you just pay one utility bill and you'll see a credit on that bill and good deal. You get, you get some benefit from somebody else's solar system because that's the right thing to do. Last horrible news. If you happen to live in a multifamily building or apartment complex or other entities that really uh, 
deserve uh, a credit, it's sort of hard to do because, uh, you know, they don't have a way of tracking all those meters. And, uh, well, basically what I'm trying to allude to is that they're making it almost impossible for those families to participate in any way, shape, or form in getting relief from electricity. And really, uh, those buildings, those places where people live, uh, are uh, deserve to get a break, both because sometimes they're low income, and two, because a lot of those people understand the basics of the rule of law and the rule of nature is if we take care of each other, if we clean up the environment, we're going to see a lot less of these things happening that are affecting us worldwide. It's, you know, these temperatures of 100 degrees in California, it's just not good for everyone. We, we know how to fix this. It's cheaper to fix this. The technology is available to fix this. Why not start? So, Ron, uh, what's happening in California, shocking, is that we have this, you know, tall, uh, good-looking liberal governor who is standing in the, in the waiting room waiting for Joe Biden to collapse so he can run for president. And he has, A, lied. He signed the agreement in 2016 to shut the Abo Canyon. He's now killing that. And at the same time, he's using the CPUC to kill solar in California. Solar in California is an industry that employs 70,000 people just installing rooftop panels. That's not to mention wind or all the other things. Now the good big news is, and, and this is really very significant, and Ron opened correctly with the, talking about the inevitability of the transfer to what I call solartopia, is that the New York Times, the gray lady has run a major front page article basically saying that the transition to renewable energy is inevitable. It's an astonishing piece that talks about basically the huge influx of solar, which is under the radar, which is just happening everywhere for economic reasons. It's an astonishingly pro-solar piece that I have never seen the lights of in the New York Times, let alone on the front page of the Sunday edition. And so, Harvey, there's a lesson for us here. And that lesson is, if you live long enough, people <laughs> will eventually come around to your way of thinking. And my mother used to say sensible. that. It's just <laughs> sensible. You should live long enough. So, That's right. yes, <laughs> although I did send a letter into in the Times and they won't, they haven't printed it. They haven't put it in the letter section, I'm uh -huh. waiting. But, you know, it's anti-nuclear. But, you know, um, no, everybody who can, uh, the Times uh, does have a, uh, a paywall, but I will copy and send this article. Uh, it, it is a major milestone. It is a historic piece in the Sunday New York Times that they have, which has been pro-nuclear for 50 <laughs> years. The New York Times has been extremely pro-nuclear. But there's a problem that they're finally acknowledging, which is we have 94 reactors, 93 plus one to come online, 94 reactors in the United States that average 40 years of age. They cannot be reproduced. No one will ever build another big atomic reactor in the United States. It's just, 
even if the entire anti-nuclear movement turned around and went pro-nuclear, they still would not build any more big nukes because, well, they can't get the money. Unless it's totally government funded, that won't happen. And the other piece is the small reactors that Oliver Stone loves so much can't happen for at least six years technologically. 36. Yep. Yeah, they can't happen. You can't, even if all of us turn around and says, we want small reactors, can't happen until the 2030s. So you've got and a the good, the good news with those small reactors are they're even more expensive than the highly yes. cost nuclear power energy that they keep trying to sell you. Right. What so a it's, deal. It's technology as if money didn't matter. So for oh, the next amazing. years minimum, there can be no new nuclear capacity physically. Doesn't have anything to do with politics. It's all about money and engineering. And so I think somebody has finally figured that out and said, look, you know, if we're going to get new capacity, we're going to do what Paul Newman did. We're going to put solar panels and I on the rooftops. And I do not advocate nuclear uh, uh, solar facilities in the desert. Or in, We have thousands of square miles of rooftops in this country. There should be no other solar facilities built except on rooftops until every rooftop is covered. Every rooftop, every parking garage, every parking lot, and every, and every aqueduct, and every reservoir. They all need to be covered with solar panels before we do anything else with solar panels. And the other piece of it, and I'll, I'll stop in one second, is batteries. And the, you know, the battery industry has been dependent on lithium. And that will be true for quite a while in terms of cars, mobile batteries. But stationary batteries are all going to go to sodium. And sodium is cheap, it's available, and you know, it's heavy. But if you don't have to move the battery around, you use sodium. And that's going to drop the cost and the environmental impact. And that's the major change we, we turn turning point here. And that cost issue is very important to emphasize because it's not only batteries that are going to cost less as we go forward, it's solar. And that solar cost less occurred. Between last year and this year, the price for solar dropped another 50% or so. And this is uh, an amazing factual thing because at the same time this is occurring, we have seen the Infrastructure Restructuring Act, the IRA, spend uh, lots of money on good things. And the good thing that I'm talking about in the United States is that we're going to go from 77 gigawatts worth of solar panels produced in the United States to possibly 60 to 80 gigawatts of solar produced in the United States. Homegrown, creating jobs here, cleaning up the environment, giving people a break, let's go solar. Absolutely, thank you for that. Okay, so we're at the top of the hour here. Steve, if you don't mind sticking with us for another 10 or 15 minutes, uh, we'd really appreciate it. I got three hands. Um, um, uh, uh, Wendy, Mimi, and Justin, and um, but, but this is a you know we are at the tipping point. Uh, again, I want to thank Paul Newman for putting uh, panels on his roof. How's that working out, Paul? Are you doing good? Yeah. Okay, it's excellent. So there you go. Okay, um, Wendy, where'd you go? Go ahead, Wendy. Hi. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, I have a few points. I'll try to be really quick. Um, one, uh, the UN has like put out statements that the small reactors are like totally not the way to go. Um, 
And I think uh, there's been a lot of like really great innovations come with like small windmills that you can can be made into like public art. And, and then it's another thing like where everybody had those on the roofs, I think would be fantastic. Um, something I didn't hear brought up earlier is what's going on in Nigeria right now, where they kicked France out because of all their colonialism and extracting the uranium. Um, France gets like 25% of their uranium supplies from Nigeria, and then they supply other people in Europe, and that's going to cause a major energy crisis in the EU. And so now they're going for military intervention just because uranium, or just because um, Nigeria wants to get a fair price on their uranium when we don't even need this in the first place. Um, I wanted to make a quick point about net metering where obviously um, what's, I see Russell Green has to go. Thank you so much for being with us, Russell. Russell, um, is there anything else you want to drop in before you leave, Russell? Just gratitude. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you, Russell. Right, keep in touch. And I was going to um, mention the, the Green Amendments, which I sent something to Russell on earlier, which has to do with this point. I just get, I'll get to you in two seconds. Um, but the, the net metering here, um, I just want to remind everybody that that's kind of a consolation. I mean, what's going on now is a total like tavistry of what's happening. But really, I mean, at least from my point of view in Florida, where we've had a bunch of valid amendments to try to set up um, financial regulate, like or just regulatory frameworks so people could form microgrids because we can't do that in Florida. And I think that that's really the way to go to get rid of the monopolies. So, yeah, like. I think net metering is like a step in the right direction, but it shouldn't be like the end. Like we need to decentralize that that power structure. And I just want to bring up on um, the Green Amendments because this is what happened with the Montana case. This is Maya Van Rossum's awesome book. I won't stop promoting it. She was there with the kids in Montana and our, our Children's Trust. And their case was based on an amendment to the state constitution that guaranteed that the citizens had a right to clean environment and a reduction in greenhouse gases. And um, if every state that was able to amend their constitution or at least get their legislators to amend it, um, this would be a, a the, the, the utility monopolies would not be able to get away with the things that they get away with if the, if the rights to clean environment were protected by the constitution. So hopefully all out in California can start something and everywhere else. So green amendments. Thank you guys, appreciate it. Thank you, and, and Wendy, let's have Maya back in two weeks. Remember next week, we're not gonna meet next week. Uh, we will meet in two weeks. Um, and um, and so next week is, this is August and take it off. Wendy, we'd love to have Maya back on if you can get her and maybe some of the kids. Mimi Spreadberry and then Justin. And then uh, anybody else want to get in their two cents, raise your hand now because Steve is going to go. So let's rock and roll here. Mimi? Hi, Ron. Th thanks, Lago. Um, thanks for your update. I've heard you give updates before. Um, I was wondering if you had an update on the court case in California on the net metering and rooftop solar, please. Thank you. I don't. I don't, I don't know what's going on in the, in the courts. There are people fighting them in the courts. But the um, CPUC has been a total, um, uh, you know. Agreed. Yeah, they just oh. approved the autonomous vehicles in San Francisco, which have blocked, you know, first responders, driveways and all this. But I, I will look it up Um because as you know, I'm a, I, I'm a, um, Alex, yeah, well, so the, the Diablo is, is the focus. Diablo Canyon will close in October. We need to make sure it does not reopen. That's number one. Okay. Thank you. Justin and Dorothy, Justin uh, LeBlanc and then Dorothy, right? Yeah. So I wanted to uh, note that you mentioned sodium ion batteries, Harvey, uh, yeah. those are now going into commercial production. 
uh, for data centers and other uh, stationary applications, just like you said, mostly for reliability reasons, because they've gotten the uh, cycle counts up so that basically uh, the cost per recharge is getting down to be minuscule. So there, there will be an explosion for uh, the long life batteries, not necessarily the high power batteries, but the long life batteries. Right, and they, and they, it, where 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 weight is not a factor, they oh, will entirely. So that that's a big deal. Thank you for that. But try not to use the term explosion when we talk <laughs> about the battery. <laughs> the battery. Okay. Thank you, though. <laughs> Just a small hand. Uh, Dorothy, Dorothy Wright, please. Hey, I don't know if you can hear me or if I'm too loud or what's going on. Yeah. I just want to suggest um, that maybe, um, Harvey, we could get together uh, a Zoom on, uh, on what's going on in Africa. There have been seven coups in Africa, a lot of them led by people we have trained, and it's all over um, mineral rights, cobalt, uranium, lithium. Uh, children are dying from mining this stuff, and, and we're so bad. France and America and the, the Western countries are, are so ruthless in what they're doing that these countries are turning to the Wagner Group as a relief because they're less vicious than we are. And really, yeah, it's um, maybe I would suggest it to PDA, but maybe we could start with us because uh, okay. smaller. Kind of Absolutely, and again, your your wonderful event will be September 9th. and. Uh, right. To it. Uh, okay. Please, everybody, buy a ticket. Don't think you're going to come to the to my house and find me and go, "Hey, it's me." No, <laughs> this is much more organized. We have some well, people uh, there. We we cannot just have people wandering in. You need well, to have a ticket. If you can't do it online, contact me and I'll tell you where to mail a check. But we need everybody to be um, to be signed up and not just think that they can. Two weeks. Let me in. Again, but thank you. Uh, Betty okay. and then Mike Hurst. Betty Kisselov and then Mike Hurst. Betty, I'm trying to unmute you here. Go hey ahead. And then Mike. Hi, thanks. Um, actually, I'm going back to uh, talking about Lahaina because uh, I wasn't able to get to my computer then uh, during that discussion. But of course, this has to do with everything. Um, uh, I'm sure people are familiar with the shock doctrine. Well, in an article uh, at Common, in Common Dreams, it says locals fear um, Lahaina rebuild dominated by rich outsiders. Disaster capitalism will happen yet again unless they act pro proactively. And there was a native um, um, Hawaiian, uh, seventh generation Hawaiian who was on uh, Democracy Now! sometime last week um, talking about that, uh, you know, about the colonialism that brought colonial, I can't say it. Colonial. Colonialism, thank you, that um, uh, you know created the conditions for all this to uh, happen, to be able to happen. But uh, we all have to be aware um, and beware of uh, the shock doctrine going into action uh, in Lahaina. Yes, you're 100 percent right. Thank you for raising that. And um, you know, again, my my heart is broken, and I haven't been a Maori. In a decade, but God, uh, Mike. Thank you, Betty. Mike Hurst. Okay, yeah. And there's still plenty of time for people who want to sign up to get involved. This is just the first tomorrow night. Will be the first of I think five or six organizing zooms to support all the things that Russell was talking about. 
And if people um, missed it, Russell said that he's been on a hiatus and he's coming out of his um, musical creative cocoon where he's been working on some very exciting projects. And he stepped back from this level of organizing because, you know, he's been doing it for decades. Um, and, you know, with climate uh, change, global warming, he's one of the many people who put his heart and soul into it and burned out. And, but th he is so excited about these efforts that he's come back and you heard him say that he never flies. However, he's going to make a big exception to his living by example of refraining from flying. Um, he will not be taking a private jet, however, um, but he will be flying um, to be in New York. You don't have to fly to be in New York. Thanks to the many, many organizations that are working on this, you can help organize an event in your own area, in your own town. Now in LA, that's gonna be complicated, but if you're in a smaller town and you're, you know, you and five or six members of your family or a close circle of friends wanna have some kind of a, of a march or some kind of a supportive event, just zoom in with us tomorrow. I'm gonna to share that link. Zoom in with us tomorrow night, or you can sign up at that link for the future meetings that we're going to be Tuesday evenings for the next five or six weeks. And you can get involved. We will walk you through and how you can make a difference near where you are right now. And here's the thing. We have these Zooms. We learn a lot. We get a lot done. Tomorrow, there's going to be another Zoom. But these Zooms are only the launch pad. But these Zooms are only the very beginning part. If we don't take what we learn and take this as inspiration and make a real impact in the real world, then it all disappears in the ether, which, by the way, doesn't even exist. So I know everybody <laughs> on this Zoom is a firebrand in their own right. I can hear the passion. I can see when those hands go up, people want to voice their concerns. And some people are a little bit more shy. And I love the shy people because they're the ones who do all the hard work when the rest of us are just gabbing away. If we didn't have the hardworking people who were more about the cause than me, 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 then we would not have a cause. And this is a cause. This is the cause. Because if we don't get our act together on climate, then planet Earth, like I say, planet Earth always bats last. If we don't make it right, by Mother Earth, the Mother Earth is going to dispossess us uh, uh, and, and disavow us, and we are going to bring about our own, uh, our own destruction. The dinosaurs okay. had an excuse. They didn't bring <laughs> the asteroids down. We don't have an excuse. Click on that link. Get involved. If you can't make it tomorrow, make it next week. Can't make it next week, make it in two weeks. But we are building a movement. We are strengthening a movement. We are going nationwide. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much. Uh, again, we will not, we, we, this has been another great meeting. We still have 42 people with us, for God's sakes. Um, um, we will not meet next week. We will meet the week after. And I, you know, Russell Green has said he never flies, but he'll fly to New York. So I, I live in LA. I never go downtown, but I'm willing to go downtown for a march in LA if we want to organize. One other thing, uh, we never ask people for money on this call, but we do need it. And um, I've asked Wendy Lederman 
to work with the great Camilla Reese, who was on with us, uh, to start uh, writing grants. And if anybody knows a likely foundation or has experience grant writing or has contacts to help us with grant writing, please contact me or Wendy. Uh, we are going to move in that direction and see if we can score a grant or two here or there. And um, uh, Camilla has just uh, been wonderful on all this. And Wendy is about as hard a worker as we know. So um, uh, again, if you've got any expertise or contacts in terms of grant making, grant writing, and grant getting, uh, that would be wonderful. Uh, we're pretty much at the end. I want to say hi to Joel Siegel uh, in, um, in North Carolina. Joel, great to have you with us. Dr. Nancy here in LA, our resident uh, psychologist. If any of you want to talk to a great psychologist, Nancy is with us. Uh, Paul Newman with his silver panels. Are you? It's a wonderful group. Dorothy Reichs, not to be- Hey, Harvey. Uh, Ruth Strauss. Harvey. Very quickly, Ruth. Yeah, can you tell me what specifically, I do know people who write grants. So what specifically, what topic do you want the grant on? Is it for grief or something else yes, or for nuclear for or what? That's how we okay, want to support thanks. grief. So that okay. we don't have to bother people with, uh, um, you know, uh, so anybody you know, contact me or Wendy or, or, or uh, Camilla and uh, we'll okay. direction. Okay. Thanks. All right, you guys, a wonderful, a wonderful time, a mere two and a half hours again. It's just been great uh, to have everybody Slug with us. Slug yeah. if, we, if we could just hear from Brother Joel Siegel for just a few minutes, that'd be great. Joel, are you with us? He's front and center on the screen. All right, there you go, man. What are you doing? How are you doing, Joel? Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. I just want to say that um, this march is going to be historical, uh, but we're going to need legislation in Congress that needs to be introduced get us to 100% cleanable energy. And I think that legislation should resemble Solartopia uh, or uh, Mark Jacobson's plan. But uh, there has to be legislation uh, introduced in Congress to get us to 100% cleanable energy. Uh, I, I have written that bill and uh, be more than happy to share that. Oh, you wrote point. the bill. I did. Uh -huh. Well, good for you. Um, uh, excellent. Did, did it have the uh, big, the cause about free marijuana for everybody or? Did you have to take that? <laughs> that, that was HR 676, but uh, <laughs> okay. But, uh, but okay. HR 1000, um, um, Chairman John Conyers, the last time I spoke with him, he said that Joel's bill, HR 1000, was the best legislation he'd ever seen. This is a man who worked on the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act. He said that um, HR 1000, the Jobs for All Act, uh, was the best legislation, his favorite legislation that he'd ever been involved with. Fantastic. Well, Joel, you'll have to give us more detail in two weeks. Okay, we'll do. Okay, uh, Tatanka, did you want to jump in here? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. Um, hi, Joel. <laughs> hey, Tatanka. keep missing each other. Uh, yeah, send it to me, will you? Because we're, we're doing some work now and we'd like to highlight it. And okay. Harvey. Harvey, what's that behind your head on the wall? Uh, a tree. A palm tree. It keeps showing up. It looks like somebody's arms coming out from behind your head all during the whole Zoom. <laughs> oh, that's that's the Loch Ness monster. Wow. It's flesh colored, oh, so it matches your yes. ear. That's what. <laughs> that's his ear. Uh -huh. Listen, everybody, you're just such a great group. It's. Uh, I wish we could all kind of get together, and and, and but uh, here we are. So uh, after 
uh, almost an hour, after two and a half hours, we still have 40 people with us, but 